0: Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive.
1: Hi, and welcome back to the Money Advantage Podcast. Today, we're talking about personal finance solutions for realtors from a realtor. We're your hosts, Rachel Marshall and Bruce Wayner. Welcome, Bruce.
0: Good morning, Rachel. I am really uh, happy and I want the listeners to get excited about this podcast because uh, we have somebody that's going to share a lot of knowledge about uh, real estate uh, in not only real estate investing, but uh, how realtors look at their world and their own personal finance. And um, he's well established in the realtor field. So I want listeners to get excited about this podcast.
1: Excellent. Yes. And we have a special guest today, Moses Suram, a working realtor with leadership positions at the local and national level. Welcome, Moses.
2: Hi, Rachel. Thank you for uh, having me today on the podcast.
1: Excellent. We're we're really looking forward to digging into this conversation. So there's a problem. The leaders of NAR, the National Association of Realtors, a 1.2 million member trade association, have recognized the need for financial planning For its members. They say realtors are successful in their careers, but they struggle when it's time to retire. We know that over 50% of realtors are broke at the end of their career. They're making good money, but they're overpaying in taxes. They're spending too much of their money. They don't have cash flow. 50% don't own their own homes and most want to invest in real estate to build those multiple sources of income, but don't have the capital to invest. So the NAR this year has plans to focus on this problem. They've mobilized an advisory group in 2017 to develop programs and ideas to help their members start planning as early as they can to save for a strong financial future. So we've brought Moses onto the show today to discuss this problem and solutions from his vantage point, not only as a successful realtor, but a real estate investor who's taking control of his financial life. He's living the principles of paying yourself first. He's saving liquid capital. He's investing in real estate. He's using life insurance. He's building this strong, sound personal economy. And he's a model. He's an exemplary role model to look at having your money work for you. He focuses on cash flow over accumulation. He really gets it. And he's passionate about helping other realtors take control of their financial life. So we wanted to discuss what he sees as boots on the ground, in the trenches, realtor, about the problems and the solution he sees from that unique position, that vantage point that he has, and show you the way to go from where you are to where you want to be. So whether or not you're in real estate, these similar challenges often deter business owners from reaching their financial success. So this conversation, whether you're a realtor or another business owner, will give you insight into how to take control of your financial life and build your path to financial freedom. So a little bit more about Moses before we jump in. He's a licensed real estate associate broker with Keystone Realty USA. He's also the 2018 New York State Association of Realtors president-elect. He was the 2013 president of LIBOR, the Long Island Board of Realtors. He was also the 2013 YPN, which is Young Professionals Network, top 20 under 40 Lifetime Achievement Award winner. He... Between the, years of 20, between the years of 2009 and 2016, he's been on the Realtors Honor Society. In 2010, he was the Realtor Salesperson of the Year. He's also the Treasurer for the Long Island Realtors Federal Credit Union, the Director of the National Association of Realtors, the, executor, the Executive Director of the New York State Association of Realtors. And he's played an integral role in lobbying for key provisions for homeowners and realtors in the 2017 tax reform. He has a passion for educating realtors to minimize taxes, take control of their finances, and build longevity in their business and their careers and not be broke at the end of their career and help them to be able to invest in real estate so we've connected after he found our work on YouTube, and now we're working together to create financial education specifically designed to help realtors. So let's do, go ahead and jump into this conversation. So Moses, tell us a little bit about who you were before you got started in the real estate world.
2: Wow. Well, Rachel, thank you for that. Uh, that nice introductory. Um, I gotta tell you, I didn't realize how much I've done over my career, as to you know, leadership with the, you know, both the local, state, and the national. Association of Realtors, but I've grown up on a farm, a working farm. Uh, my parents, all they knew was to produce produce and sell them to the wholesalers. So I was very good with math. I like the idea of, you know, making a profit and we were in control of our business. And that was really my background coming into to the industry. Finance was really my thing. I really, it, you know, it really didn't give me much of. Much of thinking as to how to get you know buy something low and sell something high. So I got that. That was really not a challenge for me. So I decided medical was something I wanted to do. It was more challenging to me. I, I thought it was going to be more rewarding. And I became an EMT in New York City. And two years later, I realized it was not as as what I thought it would have been. I uh, almost became a paramedic in the process, and I realized you know what. Going back to business was what I really enjoy. I really like helping people, like educating them. I think it was very rewarding to see people um, invest in themselves, invest in real estate, and actually have better control of their life. And I think that was more gratifying for me, and I chose to stick it out in real estate. And that's really how I got involved in real estate.
0: So Moses how how old were you when you uh, were an EMT?
2: Um Bruce I uh, believe that I was just about 20 years old when I became an EMT and you know and and the one thing that really took me back by surprise is that being on an on an ambulance and just waiting for calls to come in was just you know waste of my time. That there were days when we basically had nothing to do and we're just roaming the halls of Queens and Flushing, you know, and it's a very cultural diverse county with over 180 different languages. So there are some excitements, uh, you know, seeing the different cultures um, on a daily basis, but it really wasn't uh, productive for me.
0: I actually get this. So my, I didn't, we've never talked about this, but my nephew who lived with us as he was going through school uh, became an EMT and then a paramedic. So I, I uh, actually have witnessed this in my family, and that it's funny you mentioned that because that's exactly the um, the thing that I'm amazed about is how much downtime he has just waiting for something bad to happen, and 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 he's always texting me and asking me business questions, and he's really interested in business now, and I'm helping him in uh, some real estate and some other type of business ventures, so. Uh, it, maybe it's maybe it's the cause of all that downtime that gets people thinking. I would t- totally agree.
1: That's really interesting. And so I'm hearing, Moses, in part of what you shared then is that you like to be productive and you really like to feel like you're contributing, but then also this desire to help people. And so that kind of was some of the things that rose to the surface as you focused back on business. So why real estate for you? Well,
2: you know, the one thing that stands out was being in control being able to be in the business i had so much you know the downtime that i had on as an emt i was still stuck on a clock i couldn't do as i wanted because i'm you know employed at that point but being able to be an independent contractor and being able to set my schedule have the freedom you know to be with my family and also you know when it comes to an independent business owner you can decide you know, a whole lot different than if you're a, you know, nine to five employee. So I think that was my big take and, and my drive wanting to, to get into real estate and being able to be a, a person that has control with not just my time, my money, my family, that independence was really valuable to me.
1: Mm, that's awesome. And that's some of the same thing that we hear from a lot of people and why they started in business in the first place, that drive for freedom and personal Liberty to be able to have that time and money freedom. So, in your life, as you look back on this history for you, what do you think about the importance of financial education? How has that really shaped you in your own life?
2: Rachel, you know, growing up on a farm, you, you know, you had a lot of time to think, you know, and I think what I've seen in our school system today, this is an aspect that's really forgotten. And we haven't been given the education that we should from a very young age to see what, you know, how finance actually affects your personal life. And Mm -hmm. looking at it now from my eyes and my two kids, my son's eight years old and believe it or not, it's tax season. I have him punching numbers on the calculator because I want him to know the importance of how a penny can make a difference by putting it in the right bucket today and that's the kind of teaching that oh, that's, awesome. that's the kind of teaching that i think our generation has totally ignored and just gotten into such a digital world that it's really taken away their cash flow and they're not even seeing it and you know it it just mind boggling that this does not happen or is you know picked up at a at a higher pace to say we need to go back to basic this is not rocket science guys this is very simple so,
0: yeah, That's that is awesome. a great um, a a great little statement there. This is not rocket science, uh, Moses. I have been on this crusade, and I don't know if you've heard me on podcasts. I've been on this crusade about financial education in our in our school systems, also. But also, um, I think in in families like you're doing with your son, I, I've I've uh, given the story about how I don't think my father, who was a business owner, and I grew up in a farming community, but uh, we weren't farmers. But as a business owner, my father, because of his cultural background, um, he was he was really um, hesitant to talk about money in, in any situation. And so then I was curious about it. But you're learning by trial and error. And I always say trial and error is the worst way to learn. So why don't we? Oh, yeah, so why don't we put our put our young children in a place to do simple things like you're doing. Uh, with your own son, and and I'm also an educator of 17 years. I taught um, junior high for 17 years, and I am a big believer that this tactile sense of actually writing numbers down or putting numbers into a spreadsheet is a very important thing to understand numbers. People ask me all the time about you know these different uh, apps like Mint, uh, whether I should use Mint or not. And I say, well, you know, you can use meds; it's better than nothing. But I think uh, actually sitting down at a kitchen table with a with a spreadsheet and putting numbers in a spreadsheet and see how they actually affect each other is probably a more effective way to learn how your your money's flowing in and out of your personal economy.
1: Yes, Bruce, and I'll add on to that as well. I think this idea, Moses, that you're sharing this desire to help the next generation really to be able to stand on our, on our shoulders and understand personal finance is really important for us to be able to understand it and then communicate at a level that really works for them to see it and touch it and, and be familiar. And so I'll recommend as well, a book I'm working on the opposite of spoiled. It's about how to help kids really understand money. And then the cash flow game has been a really powerful tool as well, but I I love seeing Moses that, that goal that you have to educate others around you, which also means that you have to understand finance from a perspective of being able to empower others. So I really like what I'm hearing you say in that. So Moses, from your perspective, you have personal financial goals. And to whatever level you're comfortable sharing what your personal financial goals, not necessarily numbers, but what you're trying to accomplish with your financial life, um, to whatever degree you feel comfortable sharing that, what is that for you? Well, (laughs) Rachel...
2: Very early on, I've read a book, and it's called The Creature from Jackal Island, <laughs> and it's by Ed Griffin. Mm-hmm. And after I read that book, yep. I was so pumped up and psyched that I need to go and conquer the world. And I realize if the banks that we are part of can lend up to 10 times of my own hard working money, then I need to be on that fence. I need to start thinking, how can I have someone else? pay my debts, but not use my own money. And that was my financial goal that I start working on is how to make my money, bring in multiple source of revenue and not use my active income. That is my financial goal. And that's why I said it's really not hard. You just have to think differently than the rest of the world is thinking or at least think of how our financial institution is set up so to let me fail and i I'd be on their side where they're actually being successful with my money and that was very that was that was like the starting point where i started to think differently by looking at just how they did it and create the same on my side
1: that's awesome and i think more people if we would open our eyes to watching the financial world around us would realize that the banks and the banking system are doing powerful strategies in their own financial life, but usually the rules of the bank and the rules that we get are kind of the opposite sides of the game board, if you will, and it's set up for the banks to win. And what we really want to do is put ourselves in the position of not only being that customer of the bank, but saying, how can I model those behaviors? How can I be the bank? How can I generate that cash flow? be in control of my capital, use OPM, other people's money, like Robert Kiyosaki says. So I'm I'm hearing a lot of those elements in what you're sharing right there. Yes.
0: No, go ahead. Go ahead, Moses.
2: Yes. I mean, it's just it's just simple. Like if you can create, if you can let your money work at, in multiple source, then you create residual, you know, either residual income or passive income that is really there for a very long time. And you could just free up yourself to do so much more. That's why we're on this call today. We can educate people. We can be at, at much more, we can use our time much more productive doing something that's actually elevating ourselves because we have sources of Revenue coming in while we can do so much more with life and enjoy it a lot better than most of us, 9 to 5, some of us 9 to 10. You know, in New York City, everyone is at a Mm -hmm. fast pace. They're working. They're agitated. And it's just like, why are we doing this? And when you can actually just rethink the whole thing and do it differently.
0: Yeah. You know, the the banks do do, uh, supply us with a need of moving money around. Um, but i think they have they have gotten away mm-hmm. from the the focus i know when i was growing up and i know rachel i'm a little bit older than you but you know the, the 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 hometown feeling of the banker to help you actually solve your problems whether it was in a personal economy or a business account economy has now gone gone by the wayside because so many of these banking giants are now there and they're and they're beholden to their stockholders and, um, and Moses, it's amazing to me, you're talking about the 10% fractional reserve, which most people in the United States or the world for that matter, don't understand that banks work on a 10% fractional reserve. And what's even more um, amazing to me is a lot of bankers. And when I say a lot, I mean, I, I'm very comfortable saying well over 50% of bankers are people that work in the banking industry do not have a clue about fractional reserve banking and if and if we're trying to turn to an institution that we believe is taking care of our money because they always t- they always tout FDIC you know and we're responsible with this and yet we found out in 2007 2008 that they were not responsible for our money to actually help individuals build good money habits in good places i think will help our society out, not just uh, individuals that can do it, but the overall society. I don't know what you think about helping the overall society like that, uh, Moses.
2: Well, well, Bruce, I mean, for, as a, from a realtor perspective, I mean, I, I, I just think you must give back. You must give back. It's just, a, you play it forward, and it's always come back tenfold. I mean, I've supported so many different charitable organizations year in and year out, you know, and I'm, I'm doing my taxes and I. I saw the number, how much I gave out to charitable mm-hmm. organization. I'm like, wow, you know, revenue service might want to audit me just because it's a good chunk. <laughs> I, I just say, you know, I'd rather mm-hmm. give it to a good cause and, you know, build people up than to just pay it in taxes if I don't have to.
0: Right. Oh, I, I understand that uh, mm-hmm. totally. And that's, we're going to probably talk a little bit about um, the tax reform But that is uh, something that, uh, with the standard deduction being raised, that although the charitable contribution is still available, it's not as advantageous. But I think Americans, um, on the whole, do not give to charities because of the tax advantage. But it sure is a nice little perk at, at the end.
1: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And then we get to determine what we want our dollars to be doing instead of letting someone else, for example, the government determine what they're going to do with our dollars. So as we, um, so Moses, at this point, in what you've shared with us, you're not following typical financial advice. Can you share a little bit about that and why and how that's helped you to build your current financial success?
2: All right, Rachel. I'm I'm very passionate about this question, and I'm going to tell you this. In the early '90s, I was in corporate America, and I had a 401k plan that they, you know, put together. And you know, like everyone else, I they signed up. They were going to match, you know, 50 uh, of my earnings, and I felt like, hey, that's free money. I'll take it. And with my thinking, I went ahead and I day traded my 401k. Um, when the Dow Jones or the markets were down, I basically you know, had my money in the money market, and then I buy into my sh- mutual fund that day, and two days later, I dumped it. And at the end of the quarter, I was making the fund manager terribly um, <laughs> upset because my performance was so much higher and better than what they <laughs> So they came in with restrictions. So I got a letter, you know, a couple months later saying, if you move fund from this fund, you cannot get out of it at this 30 days, or we're going to penalize you. So that took oh, away my... my my control, so that I wasn't sitting right. I said, "Wait, this is my money. Now you're telling me how I can control my money? That was not the portfolio I needed, and that's why I moved on." And says, "No more 401ks, no, no more ROT IRAs, SEP IRA, traditional. They just didn't make sense anymore because there was too many restrictions." And I'm sure you guys are versed with it. You know, when you hit fifty nine and a half, or if mm-hmm. you took it out before, you got the ten percent. It was just piling on, and you, you're retiring, and you. You got a cushion at three to four percent, or you'll run out of money. And then when you hit seventy, you got another worry there. You could hit fifty percent if you don't take out enough. So that was enough for me, and that's why real estate. And when when it comes to real estate, I always say to realtors, you're selling this, and yet you don't master the ownership of it and understand the power of depreciation. In my head, depreciation is almost as deferred. You know your deferred income. Uh, savings plan and what's not and and I could I could tell you I'll depreciate depreciate and die those three are my formula you depreciate you depreciate and then when you die you take all that gain with you if you set it up right that's how it's going to work perfect
1: that's excellent. And so I'm hearing not only that you that thread of wanting that control and freedom, not only of just your time and money freedom, but being able to make your own choices, you're wanting to take that active ownership and say, how can I personally gain the knowledge, gain the experience in something and, and really be in control so that I can use this money how i want to and i really appreciate how you shared that piece of control and yes that's one of the main reasons why typical retirement planning locks your money away in an asset that you can't use the way that you want to so as a realtor now you see yourself as a business owner not so much as an employee so how has that perspective helped you additionally to take control
2: well i think rachel i mean i think majority of the realtors don't recognize from day one, that when they get into the business as, as real estate, they are independent contractors. Yes, they're under the roof of a company or a brokerage, but they have to recognize themselves as a businessman and, or a businesswoman from the get-go, knowing that they have control. And then obviously, we pay taxes differently. We, you know, we pay at the end or quarterly, depending on how you set it up. But at least you have that additional cash flow that you can ride on because you're not given the IRS weekly withholdings you have a lot more to work with if you you do the math and do it correctly so it's so much more advantageous to be an independent contractor I think than any day not just because of the cash flow but also you know being able to control how much you pay in taxes you can you know what you have in your portfolio so just by having that you're ahead of the game by you know a lot more than the average you know, day to day earnings.
0: No, Moza, I know this is a passion of yours too. But with with taking control of your life, also comes great responsibility. And so, a person needs to understand their personal economy and their business economy as far as cash flow. And they need to they need to live within their means. They need to understand how the uh, taxes work. They need to understand. How liabilities work and how credit usage works. There's there's uh, good credit usage and there's poor credit usage, and I that's what I see with business owners, and especially business owners that I would put the realtors in because um, they often get paid in large chunks. Where if you know you 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 owned a local uh, convenience store, uh, the the cash flow up and down might be, might vary 10%, 20% a month, but with realtors, they actually may do 50% of all their, or more of their earnings in just a few months. And then they're, they're, they're looking for more or not, not actually having anything coming in for a couple of months. So um, I know that's a really important passion for, of you to help realtors, Understand cash flow, and where are you with that, and and how do you see that going forward? Well, Bruce, that's that's
2: an excellent insight of yours, and that is true. Like I would I, personally, I think during the summer months, I make a bulk of my my money, and during the winter months, I call it my networking months because it's basically connecting, going to seminars, going to conferences, but you know, getting a few referrals here and there. And to serve my clients best, I tell them unless you're financially broke and you can't keep your home throughout the winter i'll put it up, but during the winter I don't think you're gonna get the best marketing uh for your home and it's not the best curb appeal either you know with having you know in my neck of the woods mm-hmm. a foot of snow outside and the liability of someone falling, so definitely that exists in majority of our marketplace, and the the best way i can i can i can Create cash flow is having real estate portfolios in place where one having constant, you know, rental income coming in, being able to um, let my money work in different, different, you know, simply putting it my my first home. I took out an equity line on the property. It's known as a HELOC, and realtor should be versed mm-hmm. at this. And bought several other property with that money. So I didn't have my equity sit and not do anything for me. I created other opportunity with my equity that would have just sat there for the next 20, 30 years. And just the value of the home would have gone up and more equity is built and nothing is done. So that's the kind of thinking that we need to give realtors education on to let them see. It's not, like I said, it's not rocket science but you just have to be able to think outside of the box and look and create you know the opportunities where you can create more income and create better cash flow and at the, t- at the same time having capital is is key because then you can actually you know invest and Are you still there? I'm here. Oh. Oh no, okay. what happened there?
1: Okay. So Moses you're talking about having that cash flow and the importance of cash flow and also having the capital to invest and those are kind of two parts of this Idea of being in control of your finances. You're not just accumulating money somewhere, letting it sit and hoping that someday maybe it's going to be a big enough lump sum of money to withdraw the interest and live off that into retirement, like the typical way of financial planning says to do. You're really saying, let me build up this capital. Let me not just let it sit there. Let me turn that into some asset that produces cash flow. And that's how I'm creating financial freedom in my life. So As you are talking about having control of your financial life that way, Moses, can you talk a little bit about the benefits of investing in real estate, specifically for business owners who may be wanting to invest in real estate, realtors who want to get into investing in real estate? You mentioned a couple things between depreciation and cash flow. What else would you say is the benefit of... Rachel, the
2: first thing that comes to mind is is being able to lower my tax liability on my income side and it it simply goes back to the you know and with the new tax reform they actually now have the depreciation on residential real estate up to 30 years and the commercial is now from 39 it's now up to 40 years so that's the time frame where you can actually get depreciation and the depreciation is just a book loss for the, for, for better lack of understanding it's just a book loss that you get even though you may have positive cash coming into you, the revenue service is giving you an automatic loss so that you so you can lower your tax side. So this is this is simple teachings that once you get this to your consumer or your public or even the realtors to understand, I think they're gonna start seeing the value in as to why you know wealthy folks have real estate as holdings. Uh, in their portfolio. And and you could use so many different uh, ways in obtaining cash, capital, just to get... The first thing that comes to mind when I think of owning real estate is cutting my tax liability. The cash flow will come. Mm -hmm. The cash flow will come. And I I asked a question the other day to a a group, what is your number one expense? Everyone jumped either mortgage, rent. No (laughs) one said it was taxes. And I said... (laughs) Tell me what, what day have you gone out and not paid tax at the convenience store or wherever you've gone for the day? Did you not pay tax on almost everything you bought? And the answer was yes. And that's as simple as I said. Be careful how wh- which bucket you're putting the penny today because it all adds up over time.
1: Oh, absolutely. And tax is one of those kind of secretive ways that we lose money, but it's definitely this money that's going out of our control on a regular basis. And yes, it's state and, and federal taxes, but it's also our property taxes. It's sales tax. It's restaurant tax. It's tax on your gas. It's tax on tolls when you're driving on the road. There's so much tax that we sometimes overlook that piece of money flowing out of our control and if we can recover and recoup even a portion of that that really puts us in a better cash flow position.
0: You know uh Rachel that that brings up a point I like to talk to about our listeners cuz some of the listeners may be saying well wait a minute you guys are trying to avoid taxes and it's really our duty to pay taxes and and I I would argue that it's a, it's every american's duty to pay as few taxes as possible, possible, legally, because this is what is a, a free market is all about, and holding our elected officials to uh, revenue that is being used responsibly. And if they put if they yes. put this into the tax code. Um, that is the, every uh, um, not only a, American but a citizen, but also the tax professional's responsibility to take it to take this uh, legally advantage of this. And I, I mentioned this on another podcast. I, I was with an IRS agent before, and of the eighty thousand plus uh, pages of the tax code, uh, they predicted or not predicted, but they they estimated that about five percent of the tax code is about how you pay taxes and 95% of the tax code is how you don't pay taxes. And one of the largest sections of that is the real estate section on how you pay taxes. And so I think it's every American's responsibility to actually look at their tax situation, to hold their elected officials accountable, especially if those elected officials were the ones that actually helped draft the uh, tax laws in the first place.
2: Bruce, you you hit on something very, very profound there. And You know, that's something that I've learned very early on, the benefit. And there's a joke that always goes around. I said, a doctor always look for a a spouse in a realtor. Why? Because when you're a realtor and you materially participate in the management of your real estate, your losses are fully, Mm -hmm. there's no cap on it. They're fully deductible and it's it, you know it's true i i materially participate in all my management of, of my property and it gives me so much more benefit um, to owning the, the asset because the tax laws are written and it's it's really not difficult i mean it's you just cut out that section you master it and you know how to implement it to your business and that's how you create better cash flow by cutting your tax liability and too many too many realtors depend on the so-called well, it's my accountant's job, or you know, and I always have one saying no one has the, the best int- no one ha- no one has the best interest in my money rather than myself
0: mm-hmm. yeah uh, when when you uh, really think about um, I tell my clients all the time, every dollar I can save you in taxes is a dollar that you can spend invest in something else, or you can give it away in a charitable situation. And we've done, we've gained that dollar for your net worth without taking any additional market risk. So using strategic tax strategies help you actually obtain those three things, to be able to spend more, to be able to invest more, and to be able to give more to charitable situations
1: that is powerful bruce and i think that's definitely the reason why we want to look at money flowing out of our control and make sure we recover as much of that as possible because then yes we do have decision and and control over what we do with that money to be able to use it the way that we want to without taking that extra risk that's awesome and i love how you how you summed that up so moses as we're talking about the benefits of real estate investing for realtors specifically who are very close to real estate on a daily basis and they're seeing this probably firsthand they would like to be in real estate investing but somehow they have not been able to build up the capital or get themselves into a financial position to be able to invest in real estate what do you see as the primary things the primary priorities that need to be in place before you invest in real estate well
2: rachel first they have to learn to create cash flow and i think bruce hit it on the nail you you have to be you you have to be mindset of how you're spending your money you know you you have to live within your means and today i'm seeing it more and more especially with the the young professionals in real estate they're spending too much of their money with gadgets you know things that are not really helping them but they they're just bought into the the mass production of this is the next best thing in real estate and real estate always has been a personal business is just connecting with your clients building strong relationship and you will see how greatly the the rewards are going to come as to um you know referrals getting the, the listing getting you know the family member as part of your portfolio and just building on that so definitely trying to cut back on how they spend creating cash flow and again lowering your tax liabilities knowing how you know especially with the newer tax laws with the, the 20%, um, the, the ruling on the 20% on your, you know, whether having an S-Corp or a partnership or a sole proprietor, mm-hmm. there's some great benefits now. And I think that's going to come back to help them create even more cash flow. So you, they just have to put themselves together and understand they need to educate themselves. And um, having more capital means being able to put your money in more, more, more than one buckets to create multiple sorts of income.
1: Absolutely. So you would say then the priority somebody really needs to have in place is know how to create cash flow and lower the tax liability. Would you say those are the top top priorities from your perspective that somebody needs to have in place already as a system in their life before they're ready for real estate investing? Is that what you would say?
2: Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, and that's why I said you have to put you have to know which bucket to put the penny first in order to be successful at it.
1: I love that so Moses, also you 're familiar with infinite banking, and how in your life does that help you accomplish your business and personal goals?
2: Well, Rachel, in two thousand, I took a flight to uh, Hawaii, and um, i have I had this book and I had to read it, and that was the platform where I read it and i got to tell you i couldn 't wait to get off the plane <laughs> to make a call to say I finally found the ultimate solution of financial freedom. If you haven't read it, you know, for those who are listening on this podcast, Nelson Nash wrote the book, The Infinite Banking Concept, Mm -hmm. You, you know, becoming your own banker. You have to read the book. That's like step number one. When you get that down, you will realize how much you're missing out and how much more you can, you know, you can put put in your pocket by understanding the concept of infinite banking?
0: You know, Moses, I um, unfortunately, I didn't have that aha experience like you did. Uh, but fortunately, I've been doing it since 1986, when I took out my first policy, and I didn't even know that I was doing the infinite banking concept. I just kind of naturally did it. And then uh, I've actually, um, I know Nelson Nash is a personal friend. He's a fascinating person i've I've gotten to know him and his uh, uh, son-in-law, David stern, and and the people he surrounded himself with. And his passion, uh, as you well know, is to get people to understand that the most important thing, it's not rates of return. It's not how much you're you're spending on your financing. It's who is the bank? Who is being the bank? Who is saving the money? and then deploying it properly into cash-flowing assets. It's no different than what banks do. Banks buy and sell our money. They don't have, but unfortunately now, because of the way our Federal Reserve has uh, been set up, they don't have to buy our money anymore. They can get it from the Federal Reserve. And this is a very important thing for our podcast listeners to understand and how it's kind of slanted. The banking system is now slanted against savers. Savers used to be in in my generation in the '70s and early '80s. You could you could just put your money in a passbook savings account and get five six percent rates of returns, and you get higher rates of returns in the CDs. Mm-hmm. But but since the Federal Reserve has continued to manipulate uh, interest rates, savers are now being penalized by getting virtually no return. I got a thing from Commerce Bank here in St. Louis yesterday and they were they were telling me in their advertising, watch your money grow with a 0.7% rate of return on a money market account of $10,000 or more. So I was gonna be watching my money grow at 0.7%. Oh, and by the way though, if it dropped below 10% or below 10,000 at any time, in other words, I went to access my money, and it dropped below ten percent. Mm-hmm. They were going to change the rate to zero. So, so uh, Nelson says all the time because people say, "Well, what are you? What's the return on this when you put it into your policy?" And Nelson says that's not what's important. What's important is this is a warehouse of wealth you put your money there, you get a rate of return. The rate of return is not as important as what you then do with that money and utilize it. And we love, in our world, we love utilizing that for real estate. Although we also help our clients utilize it to buy another business or utilize it to buy silver or some other commodity that is really important. So infinite banking is not magic. Nelson has told me this over breakfast before. Bruce, tell people, it's not magic. It's just good money habits, good Austrian economists' money habits by saving money, and then you become the bank. You deploy the money. It's not about rates of return.
2: And Bruce, if I can add to that, just by saying so many folks does not know that they can borrow against their life insurance. And the way I explain it best It's the same concept I had when I bought my first property and I took a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, against the property and then dive into different investment, making my equity work Mm -hmm. for me. It's the same concept, but using a life insurance. And the big kicker is there is no tax
0: on Mm -hmm.
2: the money in your life insurance. It's such a huge benefit.
0: Moses, we actually refer to it as we actually refer to each one of your life insurance contracts as property. This is property that you're paying into, and then you have access to the to the capital in the form of a loan, just like you would is a heloc. So you and I are explaining it um, the exactly the same way. That's that's great that we came to those uh, conclusions uh, in totally separate ways. So it must it must really be true then if that's if if a couple people come to those conclusions
1: and the interesting thing as well with that is that when you do take that life insurance loan you are then as moses you brought in earlier you're using other people's money you're not actually taking out your own capital to make that purchase, whether it be in real estate, or as Bruce was talking about, buying another business, you are borrowing against your capital, using your capital as collateral. And I know that sounds really complex and confusing, but what is happening is your money is still continuing to grow and compound at a tax advantaged rate inside the policy while you borrow against it and use that in another location.
0: Rachel, two two other concepts here that I just want listeners to understand, because people say this, and Moses, I don't even know if you know this, but People say this all the time. They say, why would the insurance company allow me to uh, get loans from them? Well, I can I can tell people why. It's because insurance companies have to follow state laws, and the state laws actually tell them they have to provide loans to their policyholders. <laughs> and a lot of people don't know that. They think, well, it doesn't make any sense. Why would they be loaning this money to me? Without any uh, restrictions, other than they have the capital as collateral against it. Well, the 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 description is is that they actually have to by state laws. Um, The other thing is, and I think I want to make, and Rachel, you just made this point, but I want to reiterate this: your capital in the policy continues to earn interest and dividends. You are borrowing against that capital, and that that is there's no application to do that. You simply call a mm-hmm. your professional, your producer, like myself, or you, Rachel, and you, and the client says, "Hey, Bruce, I want to take a loan of five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars or whatever you have a loan available, a capital against the capital, and you fill out a you fill out a, pay, a piece of paper, sign it, and within in our case, and then within 40, 48 to seventy two hour, hours, that money's in your bank account, and then you go in, and deploy it." for additional revenue, whether it's a business or whether it's in real estate.
1: Yeah. So there's no barrier to entry. There's no 10% penalty um, like in a 401k for being able to use your capital early. So Moses, this conversation has been fascinating and fabulous all the way all the way through. So you've had several volunteer positions with local and national leadership that we kind of mentioned at the beginning. Tell us about why why is it that you contribute and give back in that way to the realtor community?
2: Oh, Rachel, um, excellent question. Um, you know, very early on in my career, I you know I spent my first eight years not being part of the association not knowing that you know the, realtors, the trademark realtor existed. So I was licensed. I got my real estate license through the State Department and I started practicing real estate. But I wasn't part of any network. And the best thing that I could have done in 2000, I joined the National Association of Realtors and started to understand the importance of sitting on committees, being able to have a voice for both my consumer and for my peers in the business, wanting the best legislation and and you know as you're seeing today congress is really not doing much there in helping us and we are constantly at the forefront and you know the the national association of Realtors spent millions of dollars last year trying to get some of the real estate benefits that are still on the tax reform bill in there it's just it's because of their efforts and i always say it, this is the value that i have to the transaction as a realtor not just Making a commission on the sale, but also I'm constantly fighting for legislation that actually keeps the business lucrative and keep us employed as independent contractor. And why I've done it is I wanted to to be professional at what I do. I want to be able to educate my consumer along the way because I believe just like yourself and Bruce, educating people is invaluable. They they just you know come back. And appreciate so much when someone can give them valuable information. Be the source of, you know, the information. People just, you know, respect that, and they do, you know, see the value in you when you can give them um, whatever education you have. And I, I think that's constraint in our our day and age today. Not too many are actually that forthcoming with giving the knowledge that they have. And what I've seen from my volunteer years, people always approach me, other peers in the business. But why are you volunteering? Don't you lose money? And that's absolutely a myth. The Mm -hmm. more you volunteer, the more networking you have around you, the more people get to know you. And I I assure you, every month there is someone either from Hawaii, Alaska, or somewhere finds me and calls me and tells me, it was nice meeting you at the NAR meeting. It was nice meeting you at your state meeting. Um, I have so-and-so selling something there. Can you handle that? The referrals is just phenomenal, and it just pays to be involved.
1: That's awesome. It sounds like you're talking right out of the Go-Giver book that I'm not sure we've talked about before, Moses, but I know Bruce and I are both very familiar. Have you heard of that book, The Go-Giver? I heard of it. I haven't read
0: it. Hey, Rachel, this is a good plug for our future uh, a podcast with Bob Berg, the author of The Go-Giver.
1: Absolutely. We're going to be interviewing him. I can't remember the exact date, but that's going to be coming up. I think it's in May.
0: I think it's in May.
1: I think so. And it's going to be a fabulous interview. So if not before that, you'll get to hear all about it at that time. So be looking forward to that. So Moses, as you have this goal of educating, not only consumers, but also fellow realtors, what would you say is the number one thing you hope to accomplish in helping fellow realtors learn? What, what are you hoping to help them accomplish?
2: Uh, you know, Rachel, looking looking at part of a group that I have, it's called the YPN. It's Young Professional Network. It's, you know, those realtors 40 and under, and there's no really age restriction, but it's, you know, the ones that are coming in the business. And I think they're the future of the organization and the, in the industry. Um, I watched them as they start up their business. And there are some very um, wealthy, you, you know, earners there in, the, in that category. But they just don't have a clue how to manage themselves. When it comes to their money, you know, like you see these big basketball players, they get involved (laughs) and they're making a whole lot of money and it's either their mother or someone is squandering their funds. They have, you know, they just put their responsibility in someone else's and have no education how to to do it. It's like almost like winning the lottery. And then two years later, you're dead broke and you're in debt. (laughs) I, I feel that's the same concept here. And I really have the passion that I want to give them the education and the knowledge that I have as to how to better handle their money when it comes to, you know, cutting their tax liability, creating cash flow and investing in real estate.
1: That's excellent. So as we kind of wrap up here, if you had one thing that you could share with business owners who are thinking exponentially and wanting to build this life and business that they love, whether they be realtors or other business owners, what would that be?
2: Oh, uh, Rachel, I, I would I would I would seriously tell them you have to read Nelson, Nelson Nash's book um, on the infinite ban- banking concept. Mm-hmm. It's a must start. Whether, whether they don't do anything, I think if you read the book and see the value of how much you can accumulate in wealth over your lifetime, that alone should give any individual a wake-up call that they've been doing something wrong and this is the right way.
1: That's excellent. Well, thank you for that as well. So, as we wrap up this interview, I know we've had a fabulous conversation talking about how to lower tax liability, how to increase your cash flow, really that perspective of being able to be in control so that you can create this life of time and money freedom and really how to look at your business as a business and not just a job and really be in a position where you can build that life, build true wealth, build streams of income and get into a position where you can multiply the efforts that you're giving back to the community. I just think that that really is a fabulous way of being an example of doing that. So Moses, thank you so much for sharing that today on the podcast and sharing that with our listeners. How can our listeners find and follow your work?
2: Oh, well, Rachel, they can definitely send me an email at moseshomes at com, or simply look me up on Facebook. You'll you know You'll find me there and I'm on linkedin as well and you know they can shoot me i have some excellent um you know um real estate investment um partners and companies that i deal with so if they need more information on that they can definitely shoot me an email i can put them on to some link as well
1: excellent and you also are a realtor you have a realtor website as well if somebody were wanting to buy or sell properties in new york correct
2: yes you, they can go up to um keystone com and um They'll find me right on the site or just Google me on realtor.com and I'll, I'll pop up there. You'll see me on a five-star rating. You know,
1: Excellent. Excellent. Well, we know that you do great work and it looks like that is speaking for itself as well. And so then also, if somebody was interested in investing in real estate, you have a resource for that. Can you share that with our listeners as well?
2: Um, Yes. I mean, there are several, but I think Rooftop is by far one of the best uh, you, you know, um, site Out there, where the guys have really come together and done the due diligence on the property. There is like a half a percent premium for the work they've done when, if you do acquire, but there's also a capital side. If you don't want to own property, you can invest simply in capital um, and rate of return on your money. So there's some, there's a lot of good stuff out there. You just have to know where to go. And they've been one of the really good ones that I've dealt with.
1: That's excellent. And we'll make sure that we have the link for um, that rooftop site that you have as well. So we'll make sure that that's in the show notes.
2: Sorry, that was Roofstock. That was my bad. It's Roofstock.
1: Roofstock. I'll make sure that we have that link. Thank you for that clarification. So then as well for our listeners, if you would like to create a comprehensive strategy to help you keep and control more of your money, you can email us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com to request your free financial picture consultation. So this conversation will help you maximize your wealth today and in the future by first discovering the money that is flowing out of your control. We talked about some of those things today, things like taxes, and really being able to then help you strategize ways to get more of your money flowing back in your control so that you can decide what you want to do with that money. You can have more to utilize during your lifetime. You can have more to pass on to future generations. So in closing today, I want to say a special thank you to you, Moses, for being on the show today.
2: Well, Rachel, I appreciate it. Uh, I was an honor being on here and to see like-minded people like myself and Bruce. It's just it's just wonderful to be able to share with you guys.
1: That's excellent. And thank you as well to our listeners. You can email us with your questions or comments at hello at com. And in closing, success leaves clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business you love. To learn how high-performing entrepreneurs 10x or more returns on liquid capital without giving up quick access to cash, go to themoneyadvantage.com forward slash liquid capital to get The Unfair Advantage, your 20-minute easy-to-read guide on maximizing your savings.